hello and good morning everybody welcome to the second of our sundays online thank you to all of you who have taken the time to give us your feedback and encouragement it's been so so lovely to hear all of your kind words and comments and we hope that this in some small way is helping us to stay connected and to stay encouraged our speaker this morning is pete sims he is one of our senior leaders He's a man of great faith. He's a man that brings fun into everything he does and he's full of integrity. So I know that what he has to share this morning is going to be really significant. I will be back at the end of his message to bring a few updates, to tell you some of the ways in which you can be involved in some of the things that we're up to, but also to share some of the exciting things that have happened over the course of this week. So I'm handing over now to my lovely husband, Pete. Good morning everyone, I hope you're doing well. I'm going to be talking today on a love that lasts, a love that endures. But before then I just want to mention sport. Have you noticed the rivalry between sports teams? It's quite big isn't it? It can range from banter to things a lot more serious. I'm a Spurs fan, I've got friends who are Arsenal fans and there's definitely some rivalry between the two teams. But if the Spurs players and the Arsenal players take off their local team shirts and they put on their England shirt, then they unite on the pitch against a bigger opponent. And people who support Spurs and people who support Arsenal and other teams, they put on their England shirt. They forget their rivalries and they come together as one to support the English team. It happens in rugby too. You can support your premiership team, but when it comes to time for something like the Six Nations, Suddenly you take off your, your Harlequin shirt and your Saracen shirt and you put on the England shirt or the, the Welsh shirt, the Scottish, the Irish, Italian, French shirts and you suddenly you have a bigger opposition in front of you and so local rivalry disappears. And it happens even more with the British Lions tour where people from the English squad and the Scottish squad and the Welsh squad and others, they're going to put their, their, take off their national shirt even and put on the United British Lions shirt. As you face a bigger opponent, the things that divided you don't seem to mean as much as you come together as one. And we're seeing that now in our nation like never before. A few days ago, the government put out a call to the nation in a your country needs you kind of way. They wanted 250,000 volunteers to step forward for the NHS and they were hoping they'd get that number in a few days. But as we know, there were more than 400,000 signups in 24 hours. People are coming together. This virus that is causing isolation and fear is also causing the country to come together as we unite against a common enemy. And I hope that the, the little niggles and the, the rivalries that kept us apart are gone for good and that we will stay together. I was talking to my dad earlier in the week and he says he hasn't seen the nation come together like this since the end of World War II when we fought a common opposition and then it was time for the nation to rebuild together, to do it as one in unity. And, I, and he said that that unity lasted for many, many years. And I hope that the unity and sense of community that we're feeling is gonna last way beyond the current crisis. Every evening as a church, we put out a Skylark soundbite. And in one of the ones that I did during the week, I said that this, is, this virus is giving us an opportunity to reset, to reevaluate our priorities, 
and what is really important to us, giving us an opportunity to recalibrate our lives. I found it really fascinating that the application form that Nikki and I were filling in to be volunteers was called, the, the web address for it was Good Sam App, Good Samaritan application. People signing up to be Good Samaritans. And because I found that interesting, I thought, why don't we have a look at the story of the Good Samaritan for a few minutes this morning and see what we can learn from it and how, even though it was written a couple of thousand years ago, how it can definitely apply today in what we're seeing with the coronavirus and how we're responding to it. So the story is found in three of the, uh, got the Gospels, which are the, the books that include the story of the life of Jesus. So you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. You'll find this story in Matthew, Mark and Luke. And I'm reading from the book of Luke, chapter 10. I'm not going to read it all. I'm going to kind of paraphrase a bit. But basically, this religious guy comes up to Jesus and he wants to test Jesus' understanding. So he says, teacher, what requirement must I fulfill if I want to live forever in heaven? And Jesus gives him a question back. Well, what does Moses teach you? What do you read in the law? And the answer comes back, which is just dead right. You know, I'm supposed to love God with my passion, with everything that I have, with my mind, with my heart, with my strength. And I'm supposed to love my neighbor as I love myself. And Jesus says, well done, you've nailed it. That's good. And then, as you can tell, paraphrase. And then the religious guy goes, yeah, but who is my neighbor? And Jesus responded by telling the story that we all know as the story of the Good Samaritan. So to paraphrase that story for you, there's a notorious road between Jericho and Jerusalem. And there's a man who is walking down that, that road. It's a dangerous road. Think of dangerous roads you might know that you might not want to walk down after dark or ones you've heard about in other places in the world. This is that road. He's walking down this road and he gets set upon by a group of bandits. Now that word bandits can sound sort of trivial, but he gets stripped and beaten so severely that they leave him for dead. Okay? This is not a sweet little story. This man has been completely savagely beaten up. But things look like they're going to be okay as Jesus is telling the story because soon a Jewish priest walks down the same stretch of the road. The people listening will be thinking, yes, great, Jewish man beaten up, Jewish priest on his way. This is going to be a great solution. This is what it means to be a neighbour. But the Jewish priest sees the guy and walks on by. He doesn't get involved, crosses to the other side of the road and keeps on going. That would have shocked the people listening. Don't worry, though, because the second person who comes along is a Levite, a Jewish Levite, worship leader. Yeah, brilliant. He'll be great. He's going to save the day. Not quite sure what happened with the priest, but this Jewish guy is going to help this guy because they're neighbours. The Levite crosses over to the other side of the road and keeps on walking. And then comes into the story, our Samaritan. The Samaritans, you need to know this if you've never heard it before, were the hated rivals of the Jews. This isn't Spurs-Arsenal rivalry. This isn't England-Wales rivalry in the Six Nations. These people are despised. Think of the most despised group of people in society. This is what the Jews thought of the Samaritans. They never spoke. You weren't allowed to speak to a Samaritan. You weren't allowed to connect with those people. They didn't think like you, they didn't look like you, they didn't believe what you believed, they were, they were hideous in the eyes of your understanding. And this Samaritan man is walking down the road, or he's, he's on his donkey going down the road. And the Jewish people listening to Jesus telling his story are thinking, please don't tell me that 
the Samaritan's going to do something. That, that doesn't work. That does not compute. But yes, he did. He got off his donkey. He went over to the man. He, he bound up his wounds. He poured olive oil onto his, his wounds and he, he, he dressed his bleeding and his cuts and everything, shoved him on his own donkey and took him to the nearest inn where he took out some money and he paid for the, the guy who'd been beaten up to, to have the night in the inn, to be fed, to be looked after. Not only that, the Samaritan guy said, look, I'm coming back when I finish my business and whatever other costs you have incurred, I'm going to pay. The room, the food, the medicine, whatever it takes, the bill's on me. I want to see this thing through to completion. And then Jesus said to the religious man asking the questions, who do you think proved to be the true neighbour? Now, the religious guy can't even say the Samaritan. So he says, uh, the one who demonstrated kindness and mercy. And Jesus said, yeah, that's the one. You've got to go and do the same. Do the same as he did. So what can we learn from that story? It's a great story. The first thing I want to talk about is risk assessment. It seems a strange thing to get straight from the story, but I used to be a PE teacher, as you know, and we regularly had to do our first aid course. And I hate, I hate doing the, the um, sort of demonstrations and the, the role play within first aid courses. I really can't bear it, but I had to do it a lot of times. And you, have, you go over, you see the casualty on the floor, who's your work colleague just lying there. And you, you have to, when you're being assessed, you say, I'm assessing the situation. I'm making sure that it's safe for me to approach because obviously, you know, the examples given are Perhaps that person's lying on the floor because they're holding an electric cable and you go over and hello, nice to see you, or they slipped on some oil. So you need to assess the situation, do your risk assessment and then get in there. I used to teach swimming and we had to do our teacher's rescue test training all the time. And uh, what we were always taught is don't turn one casualty into two. So as a last resort, if you have to get into the water, go and get them. They will, in their panicking mode of, of drowning, they will try to climb on you. But that could cause you to drown. And so you're taught, if that happens, you go down as low as you can in the water and kick. And you try to stay underwater because in the end, they're not going to want to be under the water with you. They'll let you go and you can escape. You don't want to make one casualty become two casualties. And look at the risk assessment that must have taken place in this example. I want to make it real for me. Imagine I am walking down a road two o'clock in the morning. It's not very well lit. It's a notoriously dangerous area. And I see a body on the floor and a bit of blood around it. What do I do? I risk assess naturally. Am I going to become a victim too? Is this going to happen to me too? Is this a setup? Is someone going to jump me? What's going on? Maybe I'll just keep running, but phone the police. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to assess the situation. I wonder whether that's what the priest and the Levite did. Maybe that's part of the reason why they kept going. We don't know just conjecture but maybe they looked and thought I don't want to be beaten up as well I'm going to keep going the good Samaritan did a risk assessment on a dangerous road he knew that he could become a victim as well but he still got involved the Samaritan in the story was willing to sacrifice his own safety for the benefit of another aren't we seeing that at the moment with our key workers who have been applauding in the street in an emotional Thank you for what you've been doing. Thank you that you have been willing to potentially sacrifice your own safety to benefit me 
to benefit my family, the rest of us. I want to pause and publicly honour the key workers. Most of us have been told to stay home and of course that's the right thing to do. But our key workers have shown, like the Good Samaritan, that they have assessed the risks and yet they're still willing to go ahead and get involved for the benefit of others. And so I just want to say thank you for that again. So the Good Samaritan was willing to potentially sacrifice his own safety, certainly his own comfort. He also was willing to sacrifice his time. He stopped whatever else he was doing. We don't know why he was traveling down that road, but it was a notorious road. He must have been going there for a reason to get somewhere. We don't know what the rest of his day was going to look like, but we know one thing, it got cancelled. It got turned upside down because he gave his time to the man who'd been beaten up. Most of us are isolated at home at the moment. Perhaps we can give time, even though we're not called to leave our house and put ourselves in danger. Perhaps we can give our time. Helping in our neighbourhood, calling up people and having a chat, signing up to become an NHS volunteer. I'm sure they're going to continue to want more people to do that. And for some of us, we might think, yeah, but that I'll be out of my comfort zone. I, I don't think I could do that. Just phone up a stranger and talk. I, 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 that's, I can't do that. Sorry, I'd love to, but I, I just can't do it. You know what? Can I challenge you today? For many of us, we need to step out of our comfort zone in life in general. But let's not allow our comfort zone to be the deciding factor as to whether or not we're going to get involved in somebody else's life. I was speaking in church a, a couple of months ago and I said, do you want to change your CAC life for a wow life? CAC being cosy and comfortable. For a wow life, walk on water. A faith-filled, adventurous, fun, fab life. Are you cosy and comfortable? Don't let your comfort zone stop you from giving your time to other people. Let's change your, our cat lives for a walk on water faith adventure saying, I don't know if I can do it. I feel inadequate, but I'm going to go for it anyway. Let's pull together in unity as community. The Good Samaritan got his hands dirty in the blood and mess of somebody else's situation. He didn't have gloves didn't have hand sanitizer. This man had been beaten savagely and the Good Samaritan held him, embraced him, bound him up, put him on his donkey and got him to the inn. Before the virus, we were all too busy, weren't we? We're all time poor. If I bumped into a neighbour who needed a bit of help, I would probably have done it because I was rushing to be somewhere else. Always got something to do. Hi, how are you? Oh, I'm great, thanks. I'm just really busy. We all said it. And I said in one of the sound bites for Skylight that six years ago when we moved into this house, we were meaning to organise a neighbourhood barbecue. That's one day over the summer period. And we haven't managed to do it yet in six years because we're too busy. That can't be how life's supposed to be um, lived, can it? Sorry, I couldn't find a word. My life is not supposed to be that frantic. I'm not supposed to be that busy. I want to leave time to love. I want to give my time to other people, not just for myself. I hope that this is the year we have the barbecue. I hope that us as a Sims family and us as a church family can reset and recalibrate, recalibrate how we spend our time. What else did it cost the Good Samaritan in the story? 
Well, it cost him his money, his bandages, his oil and his wine. But also once he got to the inn, do you remember I said he paid? And he, also, he didn't just pay for that one night. He said, I'll settle the bill for whatever this is going to cost. How else can we bless other people over this period with our, with our money? How can we give? How can we be generous with our money? And you know what? People find this difficult to hear. I'll give my time, yes. Get my hands dirty, okay, if I really need to. Give someone else my hard-earned cash. Oh, it's okay, I give on Red Nose Day. Oh, it's okay, when I go to the credit, when I pay by card, I top up an extra 5p to take it to the rounded up figure. The Samaritan paid and it cost him. Let me tell you a story that's really encouraging. Somebody in our church has contacted me recently saying they're PAYE and they're, they have a salary that's secure and they want to give some money so that I can distribute it to people in need who are self-employed in the church. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that an amazing thing? A couple of years ago, Nikki and I were on the train uh, up to London and we were waiting for a tube and uh, to come along and this guy came along who was struggling um, because his money wasn't working. He didn't quite know uh, how to buy a ticket and he showed us his £10 notes and they were the old type of £10 notes and he was an Italian guy and he'd just brought his English money that he had in his, in his money box. And so we bought him a ticket and he was so blown away that we would pay for his train ticket. It seems such a simple thing to do for us. It seems such an obvious thing to do. How can we help other people with our finances? Perhaps you're listening to this and you think, oh, hang on. My uh, scrolling mechanism has completely gone up the spout. So I'm going to get rid of the laptop on my lap. I'm going to keep going though, because you know, this is a one take thing. I haven't got about a million cameras going, so I'll keep going. Perhaps you could do something for someone else with your money at this time. Perhaps you couldn't just do the shopping, you could buy the shopping for somebody. Perhaps you might think, well, I've got a great pension or I'm PAYE and there must be somebody struggling. What I'm going to do is to buy a 50 pound Tesco club card. and I'm gonna have that little card or my Sainsbury's card, other shops are available. And I can give that 50 pound card to somebody in need so that they can get their shopping. Who knows what you could do? Be creative, be generous. We are a generous people. The Good Samaritan risked his own safety, he gave his own time, and he used his own wallet. And the final thing that I want to pick up on in this story is that the Samaritan didn't just deal with the immediate crisis, but he came back. This should cover it, he said to the innkeeper, but if not, I'll settle the bill, the food, the drink, the medicine, when I come back. There's some aftercare in there. There's crisis assistance, yes, but there's also involvement after the event. And I hope that this is what happens for us after our crisis. People are reaching out in the crisis, that's fantastic. But I hope bonds are being forged that mean we're going to come back. That the WhatsApp group I've got with my community now, with my neighbours and the people I was waving to in the street as we were clapping during the week, clapping the key workers, I hope that this continues, that these bonds are forged into the future. What's gonna happen after this coronavirus crisis? We don't know, but I'm hoping that we can continue to be involved in each other's lives, way beyond the immediacy of the incident and helping each other in the emergency. 
How can we press the reset button so that we can still live as community beyond the crisis? Checking in on each other, growing community as we move forward. I want to conclude by leaving you with a few thoughts from what I've been saying. In this time of coronavirus, where people are fearful, where people are already grieving, and many more will be grieving, these uncertain times, let's remember what we can learn from Good Sam app, the Good Samaritan application that the government have put out, and this story of the Good Samaritan. Let's be those who don't put our own safety and comfort first, but who look out for the needs of others. Let's be those who get involved, who get our hands dirty in the mess of other people's lives. Let's be those who are generous with our time. Let's be those who are generous with our money. Remember, it's okay to have money as long as it doesn't have you. Let's be generous to help others in their time of need. And finally, let's be in it for the long haul, hitting the reset button on what is important. Community coming together, supporting each other long term. Take care. Have a fantastic week. I'd like to pray for you before I go. Lord, I thank you for this amazing story. I thank you that your word is alive, that the Bible is relevant today just as it was a couple of thousand years ago. Would you change our hearts and minds? Would you help us to be a generous people? Would you help us to look out beyond the needs of ourselves to the needs of our neighbour? Not our neighbour who we think is the one we get along with and looks just like us and believes what we believe and, and acts like we act, but people who look nothing like us, who we'd not normally come near to. Help us to reach out to them and care for them. Help us to be generous with our, by getting involved, but with our, our time and with our money. And Lord, I do pray that things are changed forever because of this virus for the better. Lord, would you keep us safe? Would you protect us all? And Lord, we just speak the mighty name of Jesus over this virus because your name is more powerful than anything else. So Lord, we just pray that this virus will come to an end globally and that we as, as people will be closer to each other and closer to you than we ever have been before. In Jesus' name, amen. Take care, guys. See you soon. Bye. me for a few updates some of the things that have taken place in and through the life of the church this week but also some of the things that are on the horizon for the week ahead firstly we'll be gathering next week next Sunday online at 10 a.m. as usual but at 7 p.m. in the evening where many of us would already be lighting a candle and praying for our nation we are going to be hosting an online time of worship and corporate prayer for anybody who would like to join in. Rachel Maddox, our head of music, and Sue Gibson, our prayer pastor, will be leading that. We think it's going to take place via Zoom, but we're working out the technological side of things to facilitate that happening. More details will follow on Church, church Suites, but if you've been missing corporate worship and prayer, then this will be a really great time to be equipped to worship and pray from your own home alongside other members of the church family. So do keep your eye on Church Suite for more details. 
we were very sad not to be able to host the Bee Conference physically this year, but I know that the Bee team have been working really hard to develop some content, and Anna Robson, our Head of Media and Graphics, has done the most outstanding job in putting all of those videos together to get out to all of the Bee delegate, delegates over the course of the weekend. So a big thank you to everybody who has been involved in that. As a result of not hosting the Bee Conference, we found ourselves with 300 cookies as a church from Millie's. And the team have been handing those out this week with a little note attached um, from Skylark Church to key workers across the city, whether that's in health or in teaching or in other spheres. We've already had some really lovely feedback from people who have been blown away that we've been thinking of them and showing them solidarity. So what a lovely thing that we were able to do, even though we couldn't host the conference, we were able to bless people in our wider community with those sweet treats. How cool is that? I also want to just remind those of you who have children and youth that Lindsay Wells and Jen Forbes-John have been putting together some really great online content and resources for you and your children and youth to access. So if you haven't tapped into that yet, it's a really great way to keep them connected, but also to try out some new things together at home as a family. Also, I guess at this time, one of the things we want to encourage one another to do is to keep loving each other well. And we're so thankful that we are hearing story after story of different ones of you reaching out to and looking after and supporting each other in so many beautiful ways. We as a team are trying really hard to connect with all of the adults on Church Suites, but that is more than 600 of you. So we're trying to make sure that everybody receives a phone call over the next few weeks. If you haven't received your phone call yet, please don't worry. It's not because you've been forgotten. It's simply because we're going through methodically the list of people on Church Suites and we haven't got to you yet. So if you haven't, why don't you take this as an opportunity or a moment to pick up the phone and call somebody else um, and reach out to somebody else. It's going to be so important that beyond that centralised system, we actually take responsibility for loving one another at this time. And thanks to everybody who's already doing that. On the note of loving each other, I'm really sad to announce that we have had a couple of members in our church family who have been bereaved this week due to the coronavirus. And our hearts are very, very much with you. We are carrying you as a church family and we are sincerely so sorry for your loss. Please could we as a church family be praying for all of those who are impacted by the virus. We know that there are um, many who have loved ones who are affected and now we're seeing that loss closer to home. It's just important that we hold those people close in our hearts and in practical ways. And on that note, I'm going to finish by praying. So Lord, we reach out to you today and we thank you that you are the God of all hope and you're the God of all comfort. And it says in your word that you're close to the brokenhearted. We pray, Lord, that you would be so very close to those who have lost loved ones this week. We pray that you would hold them in your everlasting arms and that you would give them peace. We pray too for everybody in our church family in the wider city of Chelmsford and across our world who's been impacted adversely by this virus. We thank you that you are an ever-present help in times of trouble. And we call on you, Jesus, to do what only 
you can do and to bring strength and to bring love and kindness into each person's life and into their hearts at this time. Lord, we also want to pray for all of our key workers, for every single person who is out there on the front line, keeping things together. We pray, Lord, for your protection over them. We pray for your blessing to rest upon them. We pray that you would continue to give them strength and courage and to equip them for, from the day, for the days ahead. And Lord, I pray today for this beautiful Skylark Church family. Lord, we miss seeing each of those faces so very much, but we ask that you would keep each one safe. You would keep each of us connected to you, the source, the author and perfecter of our faith, and that you would help us to stay connected to one another and to reach beyond our borders and to, to love our community and our city extravagantly at this time. Show us how to be the church. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you again next Sunday at 10am. God bless.